You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. By that well. <laughs> uh, well, like Dave said, I'm Courtney, and um, I'm gonna care if I just stay right here. Um, I, I warned. I told him in the first service, like I warned Antley. I was like, "Are you sure you want to let me?" preach when you're not here, like, and you're, you're on a cruise, so you can't even text somebody and be like, shut her up, she's ruining everything, like, you got no internet, nothing, so, um, yeah, I got free reign of the place, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding, I promise I would not do anything that you would um, have to get phone calls about, though, part of that I don't have control over, if the Holy Spirit takes over, that's not my problem, but my name is Courtney Bowser, my husband Jeremy and I are fairly new to this church, and Anley wanted me to briefly share a little bit about what it is that we do Um, because we're about to do something with you guys, actually. But we have an organization called Ignition Point Ministries, and um, kind of our message, my husband is a worship leader and a speaker, and I am a speaker, and our background is in the arts. We had an art school here in Jacksonville for about 10 years, which um, some of you are familiar with. And we basically are at a stage in our life now where our, our passion and our call for the nations, we spend most of our time back and forth in and out of different countries where God has given us opportunity and open doors. That sounds way more romantic than it is, trust me. It's, um, it's a lot of work and a lot of time apart and a lot of time um, seeking his face for, for what he wants us to do and how he wants us to do it. But we have uh, like a fire in our, in our gut, shut up in our bones. And, and when you have seen what God wants you to do and your passion meets that place of, of love and desire for God, then something happens. And that's where we got the name Ignition Point Ministries. And you begin to walk out your purpose and you begin to see God use you in ways that have nothing to do with you. And there's a vision that we've been sitting on for a few years now doing something called the Love Project. And we would take the different places where God might send us around the world and um, use the arts again like we used to, to go into places where maybe... People have never been told that they have purpose, that there is hope, that there is a God who created them and loves them and would love to do amazing things through their life. But even aside from that, that he's with them and they are not alone. And I, I don't know about you, but I found places like that right here in Jacksonville and places like that as far as Calcutta, India. There are people all over the world that are living in utter hopelessness. And so we're going to do something at the end of the Vacation Bible School. So if you have children and you haven't signed them up for VBS, this is my plug for VBS. You need to do it. It's down at Hollybrook downtown. And um, at the end of VBS, we're going to have the big end of VBS celebration. And then the Love Project is going to couple on top of that. And we're going to do a production of sorts that's really just an opportunity to glorify God through the arts and to share the gospel and his love for people. So come. Put it on your calendar. It'll be June 22nd. It'll be a part of what this church is doing down at Hollybrook. But what I want to do today is pick up where Antley left off. Antley, uh, and he knows I'm doing that. Don't worry. I'm not preaching this message for him. He started 1 Corinthians about, well, not two weeks ago because we he was out of town. So, But he started a series on 1 Corinthians. And he started that first week basically just talking about that the first Corinthian church in this and this letter was a good church. Like, this was not a bad church. In the beginning of the letter, Paul is encouraging. He's saying, I have heard that you desire every spiritual gift, that you're seeking to know the knowledge of Christ more. He's encouraging them. But then, because Paul is their mentor and their apostle, he begins to speak correction to different things and to try to open their eyes to things that they're not seeing clearly. And so last week, Antley talked about the disunity that had come amongst their church and the places where they were not in unity together and therefore they would never be able to fully walk in the blessing of God together on their church. 
And then he goes on from that and he starts to talk about what we're going to talk about today. That the, the kingdom of God is foolishness to the world. He, he talks about preaching and, and Jesus coming and dying on the cross and this idea that instead of God sending this radical savior, you know, guns blazing to set the Jewish people free, he sent a, a savior in on a donkey and died and rose again. And none of it made sense to their natural minds. None of it was the way a human being in our perspective, in our way of seeing things would have done it. And then he says, he says, and then I created this foolish thing called preaching the gospel, the foolishness of preaching the gospel. He calls it that, where you go, you go out and you begin to preach this idea that the kingdom of God is at hand and there is a savior and he loves us. And to the world, that's like foolishness. You know, what is that? But empowered by the spirit of God, he says, it is the very power and wisdom of God. And he goes on and we're going to pick up in verse 25. And he says, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. I first found this scripture when I first got fully dedicated my life to Christ at 18. It wasn't much longer after that that I found this scripture. And this scripture was like, the heavens had opened and the angels were singing. You know, like, oh, you know, I was like, oh my God, because if, if, if the Bible is telling me that God uses the people that everyone else would overlook, that God uses the foolish things of the world, that God uses the one that looks the least qualified, then there is hope that God might just use me. And there is hope for every one of us today. But see, this is the thing about us as human beings. There's like these two levels going on. All throughout scripture, God talks about how he's going to bring the high places low and the low places high. And that, that applies to the world as a whole, but it also applies to our hearts. That every single one of us, we have those places in our hearts where maybe we boast a little more in ourselves than we ought to. Where maybe we think a little bit too highly of ourselves. Or maybe we think it has something to do with what we have achieved, with what education we have received, with what wealth we have attained, with how, you know, perfect we might be able to be. But then we usually, right next to that, in the same heart, have that part of us that is full of insecurity, that's full of lack of self-worth, that feels, sees our weakness and our failure and our inability. And so that both, of, I feel like almost all of us struggle in both of those areas in one way or another. And then God takes a passage like this, and he says the key is that it doesn't have to do with you. It has to do with every prideful, high, boasting area in your heart coming low. And every ashamed, insecure, focused on weakness and failure area in your heart coming high. And they all meet together in him. They all meet together in who he is in you and the knowledge of knowing him more and God's wisdom and his righteousness and his redemption and all of those things becoming what people see in you. In Isaiah 55, it says, for God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, right? His ways are higher than our ways. But yet so often we still think that we get it. We still think that somehow we can, we can know things exactly the way that he knows them and see things exactly the way that he sees them. And he says, no, you don't. 
You see them limited. You see them your way. I see them totally different. So I will use the foolish things of the world because you think that because you're wise and you're full of knowledge that somehow that you have the ability to attain. And you think because you have no money and your family has never gone to college that God can't use you. And he says, no, none of that matters. And Paul goes on to write to the Philippians church, which I love this passage. Because, again, it's the same concept. He writes about the same concept to the Philippians church, and then he comes back to the Corinthians church again in 2 Corinthians and addresses this issue again. And I can so relate to that because this is, like, what God is doing me a lot. Like, he, he deals with me, and he deals with an issue, and then, like, nine months later, God's like, oh, all right, Courtney, come on. Let's get this through your head again. Let's, let's readdress this again. It ain't about you. Okay, Jesus, I got it. It's not about me. It's not about my ability. It's not about my weakness. It's about you. And so in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is talking to them about this, that they're putting confidence in who they are in the flesh. They're putting confidence in their ability as individuals. Or in this specific instance, he's dealing a lot with the, Jew the Jewish Pharisees and Sadducees versus these Jewish men who had begun to follow Christ. And there was this big debate in the church, which I don't have time to get into all that today, about circumcision and the law and not being circumcised and all that kind of stuff. And it was this, this thing that was bringing great division in the church. And people were saying that somehow they were better or more holy because they had these certain religious things going on in their body or in their life. And so Paul's like, all right, you want to boast? And this isn't going to be on the screen, but I'm just setting the stage for you. He's like, I want to put your confidence in something. You think you have something to boast about? And he says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he goes on to list all the things that to a Jewish man would be esteemed, that would make Paul an elite in, within the Jewish faith. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. So he's like, bam, 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 bam. I meet all these criteria. But then this is what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now, when I first read this, this passage throughout the years, you know, I think rubbish, I think trash, you know, I think dirty, whatever. But then I went to India in February with Kristen Keene, who's the director of Youth Rapids and a part of this church. And we were walking down this one road, and I got a whole new insight to rubbish. I got a whole new insight to most likely what a rubbish pile back in this day and age would have looked like. With, with oh, that, I mean, I just can't even tell you. Just the smell alone. And I've done a lot of third world countries, but there was like a whole other dimension to this rubbish pile in Calcutta. And as I picture that in my mind, and I go, everything that I can stand before the Lord and say, look at me, look, 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 at, look at this, God, look how good I am at this, God, oh, look, I achieved this, God. And he's like, no, no, it's rubbish compared to knowing me. Not, now don't take that the wrong way, not to those of us that have worked hard for degrees of higher learning and things like that. God is not saying that those things don't matter. You worked hard for those things and achieved those things. And the knowledge that you have attained through those things, he will use. But not for your glory. Not so that you can say, look at me and look at all that I've done in my life. I don't know. So that you can use the gift that he's given you, the knowledge that he's allowed you to receive to glorify his name. 
I love this passage in, in 1 Kings chapter 18 with Elijah. And this is, I'm totally stealing this from my husband. But since we're two or one, it's kind of like it's my message too. But he teaches this little thing on Elijah. and about He does it in a different message on the motivation of our hearts. But I love this, this passage because Elijah is taking on the prophets of Baal, right? God has told Elijah to take on the prophets of Baal. So Elijah kind of goes out there like, awesome. Like he confronts them straight to their face. And he's like, bring it. We're going to have a throwdown right here. You guys, y'all are going to get your God and see if your God will set your sacrifice on fire and me and my God. And he totally challenges them. And there is a difference between confidence because the spirit of God is inside of you. Confidence that causes you to do things that go beyond your own ability. That confidence that is solely in the spirit of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that confidence allows supernatural, impossible things to happen in your life. The confidence that comes from what you can do or what you can achieve or what talent or gift that you have, that limits God. It limits God. So if we take all of our talents, all that he's given us, all that we've achieved, our wealth, our knowledge, everything, and we lay it at his feet as an offering. And we say, God, if you want to use it, use it. If you don't, don't. But use me for your glory. And this is what Elijah was. Elijah was a man who lived and surrendered and sacrificed all for God. And because of it, God spoke to him and said, go, take on the prophets of Baal. And he takes it and he's like, come on. And so there, he lets them go first, right? So they set up their whole little sacrifice and the altar and everything. And they're trying to call down the fire of God. And they're dancing around. They're doing all sorts of craziness around this altar, right? And Elijah actually starts taunting them. He's like, well, maybe you should dance a little harder. Maybe you should sing a little louder. Like, he's mocking them. He's acting, I mean, you would think in the natural, he's kind of being a little prideful, a little cocky, you know? But he's filled with the spirit of God. He's not doing this because he wants them to think Elijah's awesome. He's doing this because he has a mandate from the Lord. Because the Lord wants the people in that place to know that there is but one true God. And so then it comes to be Elijah's turn because Baal isn't doing anything. And Elijah says, all right, let's make this even better. Grab, it was the equivalent of 12 jugs. They refilled four jugs three times. So, <laughs> multiplication. I think I got that right. <laughs> the equivalent of 12 jugs, and they saturate. They saturate the sacrifice with water. Down to, it says that the trench that they built around the, the sacrifice and where the altar was so that the fire wouldn't spread, the trench that they built around was filled with water, okay? And then, basically, Elijah cries out to God and says, come, come and consume the sacrifice. So that everyone would know that you alone are God, that you alone are the creator, that you alone are true. And he did. And the, and the Bible says, which does not make any sense in the natural, but the great thing about having the creator on your side, he's not bound by physics. So the Bible says that the fire came and consumed the soaking wet sacrifice, but it also says that the fire lapped up all the water, and it all, everything was gone, completely destroyed. And the response of the people was not, holy cow, Elijah is incredible. That man, that man was God. That man, here's God. You are awesome, Elijah. No, it says the people fell flat on their face and began to cry out, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. They didn't say a thing about Elijah because it wasn't about Elijah. It was about Elijah saying, God, I don't care what you tell me to do. I don't care what it looks like. I have to be obedient to my God and my Savior. Went out there and God showed off and God got the glory. So Paul is writing to the Philippians church and then he writes back again in 2 Corinthians and he says, Don't make me boast again. He's like, and he even writes in 2 Corinthians, I shouldn't be doing this. Like he, he like puts it in there. I really shouldn't be doing this. I, I should stop right here, you know. But then he keeps going. 
If anyone can boast, I can boast. Why? No one can even compare to his glory. So God is not looking for the best of the best. We don't need any more Christian superstars. And God is not looking at your failure and your weakness. God is not up there with his little report card going, oh, Courtney, didn't do that very well today. Oh, oh, probably can't use her tomorrow because she kind of failed in that area today. Oh, he's not keeping a report card on you. God's looking for one thing and one thing alone. In 2 Chronicles 16.9, it says the eyes of the Lord are searching the earth. I love to picture that sometimes. Like, I'm sitting here, and I'm just doing my little thing, you know, and I'm like, holy cow. He loves me. He sees me. But you know what he says he's searching for? He's not looking for the best-looking one. He's not looking for the one that has that really good education. He's not looking for the really rich one who can pay for everything. He's not looking for any of the things that I would probably look for if I was looking for the person to be the forefront of my ministry, the things that I might think were important, how many years of ministry background and seminary school you might have. He's not looking for any of that. It says, the eyes of the Lord are searching the earth, looking for hearts that love him. Another version says, hearts that are perfect toward him. Not perfect. You're not going to find it in a human being, right? Except Jesus, perfect toward him, to show himself strong in their behalf. So he's looking around this room, and he's not looking for anything else but, is your heart toward me? Do you love me? When you screw up, do you say, Jesus, fix it, heal me, change me? There's probably not a day that goes by that at some point I don't have to repent for pride or jealousy or envy or some other mess, right? I'm a woman, which makes it worse, which is kind of in our nature. And we need God to, like, heal that and change that and purify that. Don't shout me down. You ladies know I'm right. And so, I was like, there's probably not a day that goes by that I don't have some thought that I know is not of the Lord, and I don't have to go, oh, I'm sorry, Jesus. God, get that out of me. Remove that out of me. Get that my heart, Father. And there might not be, and the next minute, I might be going, God's telling me to do something, I'm going, I, I can't. I, I can't. I, I, I'm too scared. I don't know. I don't know. I've had any experiences recently. This is kind of like a motion thing, and this is fun. I have been in a tuxedo store getting my children fitted because they're in this uh, wedding coming up. And so they were getting their little tuxedos with my husband. And I went back out to the car, and I was putting my son in the car. And I saw the manager's face in my mind, and I heard the Holy Spirit say, I want to heal her heart. And I was like, really? Right here, right now? It's right here, right now? Like, can we... Can I, can, I, can I do that when we come back and pick up the tuxedos? And maybe I can like, work myself up for it and feel strong and courageous. And I was like, oh, God. And immediately the Holy Spirit took me back. I had an experience with them in India. We went to this place called the Burning God. And it's where they burn the bodies of the dead. And, um, and what, I, what God allowed me to feel in that place, Shelly can tell you I cried. I had to leave. I walked into that place. And it was like, God, just let me feel something in the spirit unlike anything I'd ever felt before. And there was a man, like, he, they burned the bodies on the wood. And we walked in, there was a man right there. And never in my life have I felt hopelessness like I felt in that place. Never. And I, like I said, I've been to some places, third world rough places. But whatever God allowed me to feel in that moment, I'll never be the same again. Because I watched that man on that funeral pyre. And I thought most likely, from, from the, the rituals they were doing around him, he was a Hindu. And so he spent the majority of his life trying to appease 
all these different guys in order to somehow win their favor and maybe change his karma for his next life. And knowing that I serve a God that loves me regardless, that I don't have to win his favor, I don't have to earn his love, that it's already been freely given, and that he can give me hope in even the most dire, hopeless of circumstances. And I thought, I probably would have walked right by that man if he had been in my everyday life and let him die in his hopelessness. And I, I had to leave. Like, I walked out, and me and Jesus had had a lot of talks about that place. So I'm standing outside the tuxedo shop, and I do not want to go back in. Courtney is a foolish nobody. Courtney's most likely going to go in and screw it up. I'm going to say the wrong thing, or I'm going to do whatever. And I'm, I am going back and forth thinking of every reason why I don't have to go back in that store. And I just hear the Holy Spirit say, Bernie Dock, you don't get to withhold hopelessness anymore. Or you don't get to withhold hope anymore. And I was like, okay, Jesus. I screwed up. You better do something. So I walked back in the store. I thought I was going to throw up. And the lady's walking out the back door, and the other lady catches her, and she brings her to me. So now there's, like, this big moment because they're all wondering what the heck I've come back to the store for. And I look at her, and I say, y'all don't feel so good about yourselves after this. I look at her, and I say, do you have a heart condition? Or does anyone in your family have a heart condition? Because, right, I heard God say he wants to heal her heart, right? And she's like, no. Oh, okay. Awesome. 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 And as soon as she says no, I feel the Holy Spirit go, would you just tell her what I spoke to you? No, because that's harder. That's weirder. And I was like, here's the deal. Fortunately, I'd already been in there with my kids and shared life with kids. And I was like, here's the thing. I'm a Christian. I believe God loves us and he's always speaking to us and trying to reach our hearts. I'm not a crazy psycho. But I was putting the little one, Elijah, in the car. And I felt like God said he wants to heal her heart. And as soon as I said those words, Jesus took over. And I was so glad. And you can feel the presence of God like, phew, I mean, just, boom, right there. And she looks at me, her eyes well up with tears, and she's going, I'm going through a horrible divorce. And she just breaks down, like, like here in the store. And I was like, thank God just to go from there. Like, I didn't have to do, you know, like, I, I said stuff to her. We prayed together. Her, her friend was in on it at that point. Like, but it didn't matter. Like, it could have been anybody in the store at that point. God just took over because God wants to reach his people. Because the heart of God is searching the earth and everyone that he sees, even if their hearts are not toward him, he longs for them. His heart breaks for them in their, in their abuse and in their hopelessness and in their devastation. And then he's looking at all of us who call him Lord. And he's going, stop making excuses. I want to use you because you're a fool. I want to use you because I use the lowly things of the world to confound the wise. It doesn't matter what experience you have or don't have. All that matters is that your heart is toward me. And when we were in prayer this morning in that little room, I just saw this picture of a bunch of treasure chests inside people. And they were locked up. And there's a treasure in a dream and a vision that has nothing to do with you receiving the glory, but everything to do with hopeless people knowing that there is hope in this life and that he loves them. And if we will unlock that thing inside of us and say, God, I will believe. I will believe for provision where I don't see provision to walk out the dream that you put in my heart. I will believe to have divine appointments in my workplace. Whatever it is that he's calling you to believe for him for, unlock the treasure inside of you because we have it. It is the mystery, they call it, throughout the New Testament of Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is the mystery that for centuries the Old Testament church was waiting for. 
that he can speak to you and through you solely for other people to know that he loves them and he is with them. And look at all the foolish people in the Bible that God used. There's so many of them. So many people that would not have been, I mean, David was not the first choice, right? The most legendary king ever to rule the Jewish people, still less legendary in Israel to this day. And he was not even brought in to be lined up, right? The prophet came and he said to, the, to Jesse, get all your sons. God wants to anoint one of them as king. Jesse didn't even bother bringing David in from the field because he discounted him that much. How many of you have been discounted that much? Well, then the Lord says to you today, no, I'm bringing you in from the field. That's a word for somebody in here. You have always been discounted. You've been the one that didn't get picked. You've been the one who's always coming in last. You've been the one who never seems to succeed when others do. But God has seen you, and he has seen your heart toward him. And he's getting ready to bring you in from that field and anoint you as king. And then like David, you're going to have to keep your heart after him and submit and surrender and allow him to use you in that kingly role in anointing. And that is what God did with David. He brought in the nobody, and the Holy Spirit spoke to Samuel and said, Samuel, you know, the man looks at the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. Quit looking at all the other brothers just because of what they look like or seem to be able to achieve. It's that one right there. Be a man after my own heart. Esther, an orphan, a concubine. But God knew if he put her in the right place at the right time that her heart was enough toward him and wanting him and submitted to him that he could make her queen, and when the moment was right, he would save the entire Jewish people through her life. Paul, the least likely person, right, to be the greatest apostle, one of the greatest apostles, he was killing the Christians. One of the greatest faces of the, of the early church, and to this day, one of our greatest mentors and leaders in the faith. The disciples, seriously? Whenever I'm feeling like a total loser, I go read the New Testament, and I read all, I'm serious, and they know, they know I mean it in love and respect. <laughs> I go and read all of the normal people, normal, screwed up, trying their hardest people, just like you and me, that God decided that their heart loved him enough that he could use them. What a wonderful requirement. There's only one, your heart. The final passage of that scripture before we go into a time of, of prayer and ministry. When Paul writes to the Corinthians church, the final thing that he says there to him, to them, is therefore as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I really, really hope that as God uses my life and your life, that the response is that people cry to the Lord because God is only God. I'm supposed to just tell this quick thing and then we'll pray. Um, honest to goodness, there are some of you in this place today that because of what God does in your heart are going to step out of vision that you've been sitting on. And I was in um, worship Monday and the Lord brought me back two things. One, I kept hearing the word shattered dreams. But there are some of you that have already tried and it failed badly, shattered into a million pieces. And the Holy Spirit said, try again. This is the master of putting back together shattered dreams. And probably in that process, you'll find the things that he taught you through that. And then you just let go. 
there was a couple many years ago, I was, um, not that many years ago, I was only four, three and a half, I was pregnant with my second son, and I was supposed to be on bed rest, and I felt like that I had to preach this service because I was in early labor, and uh, I know in the natural that doesn't, that's not necessarily a naturally wise decision, but under the, I'm very submissive to my husband, and under his leadership and the leadership of the pastors around us at that time, I, I knew that I had to go and preach the specific message, so they, I sat on a stool, which y'all can imagine might have been extremely difficult for me, and I preached this this message, not this message, but this concept that God wants to use your life. And there was a young couple sitting there. And like I said, I feel like I'm telling this story for a reason. So listen with your Holy Spirit ears. There was a young couple, so young couple, 21, 22, newly married, just got married. And their heart had always been in Africa, always, in Uganda. And they were sitting there, and they, the Holy Spirit just started speaking to them. They don't even remember what the heck I was saying. The Holy Spirit started speaking to them. That was almost four years ago. And now they have partnered with another couple that have been pastoring and leading, a Ugandan couple there in Uganda. And now they have this orphanage, amazing orphanage in Uganda with like 45 children. They started as a young, 21, 22, nothing, nothing to say for themselves. My friend Michelle is here and her daughter works for them and spends a lot of time over in Uganda with them and David. Not the people you would think God would use. No money, no nothing. And now there's 45 precious children in Uganda, each with a crazy story of their own, that are super thankful that they were naive enough to think that God would do what he said he would do. And that he would use foolish, unwise, last person to choose people like Ola and Jake. And he wants to do the same thing in you and in us and through us. So I'm going to pray for us as a group, and then David's going to come up, and we're going to go into a time of um, prayer ministry, because I feel like some of us may need to respond to God in this today. So Father, I thank you for the people that are here today. God, that you have a purpose and a reason for every one of us being here, God. And Holy Spirit, take these mere words, God, and make them what each person needs to hear for their life, that they would hear your voice speaking to them healing places where dreams have been shattered, speaking boldness and faith in places where fear has reigned, speaking fresh vision. Father, that the kingdom of God would truly be altered and impacted because of the individuals sitting in this room today. In Jesus' name.